Welcome to Worship with the Old Presbyterian Meeting House in Alexandria, Virginia, brought to you at a time when we join you in practicing social distancing to curb the pandemic virus. This sermon podcast is from our online virtual worship service that you can find through our website at opmh.org. We pray that in the not-too-distant future we will welcome you in person when you visit us in Old Town, Alexandria. Good morning, and welcome to this online worship service with the Old Presbyterian Meeting House in Alexandria, Virginia. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, know that you are always welcome here. This morning, we are privileged to hear and learn from the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Walton, Dr. Walton is Dean of the Divinity School at Wake Forest University. He is a social ethicist whose scholarship focuses on Christianity and its relationship to mass media and political culture. He is an outspoken advocate for social justice and civil rights, and his work has been featured in a national and international news outlets. He previously served as the Plummer Professor of Christian Morals and the Pusey Minister in the Memorial Church of Harvard University. Today's sermon was delivered a few weeks ago to kick off the summer worship series for the Montreat Conference Center. Dr. Walton has graciously given us permission to share it with you today. And I hope it will speak to you as powerfully as it has spoken to me. The Lord be with you. Let us worship God. Friends, hear, believe, and proclaim the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, loved, and set free to be at peace. In the name of the Creator, and the Christ, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.
reading today comes from Psalm 8. Listen for God's word. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established? What are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field 
the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Montreat. I am so sorry that we cannot be together. But as always, I want to thank you for extending this invitation to share this morning. The eighth Psalm, verses three and four read, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, all that you've set in place, God, what is humanity that you're mindful of them? What are human beings that you care for them? A stubborn hope. My father was 15 years old on August 28, 1955. This is when two white men Roy Bryant and J.W. Milam shot 14-year-old Emmett Till through the head. Investigators found Till's body in a Mississippi River with a cotton gin tied around his neck. We know the details of that day because after Bryant and Milam were acquitted, they sold their story, their version of events, to Look Magazine for $4,000. My mother was 23 years old on April 4th, 1968. She was one of two African-American women hired to integrate the phone company in Memphis. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s body lay in a Memphis morgue that night, she fielded hundreds of calls on the switchboard. Calls such as, I'm glad that nigga is dead. And I hope these riots will get rid of the rest of these niggas. And it was 1992 when I attended my first protest as a freshman in college. Video footage of officers beating Rodney King and their subsequent acquittal led to uprisings across the country. And like Till's murder in Money, Mississippi, nobody was held responsible not guilty. So here we are in 2020. I'm watching my own teenagers ready to hit the streets in protest. I'm watching the look on their faces as they see footage of white men roll up on Ahmed Arbery with evil and insidious assumptions about his humanity. I'm noticing their body language as they watch that officer kneel down on George Floyd's neck with such calm that his hands were in his pockets. William Faulkner was right. The past is never dead. It's not even the past. Because in that despicable moment, that moment of George Floyd's murder, the lie of presumed white innocence and black guilt converged to create that scene. That officer was just a stock character actor from historical central casting. George Ford, Floyd, 
like Breonna Taylor, Adiana Jefferson, Terrence Crutcher, Philando Castile, Darnisha Harris, Amadou Ta Diallo, Taisha Miller, and an innumerable list dating back to 1619 served as the ritual sacrifice. The ceremonial lynchings of black people is the price that this nation pays for law and order. So as I look at the faces of my children, I cannot help but consider what kind of dark clouds are descending upon their adolescent mental skies. Anger and anguish, frustration and fatigue. I feel the presence of my parents, my grandparents, their parents dating back to the fields of enslavement, prosperous and proud people rendered vulnerable in this nation due to their skin color. The antibodies of class and educational privilege cannot fully inoculate my kids from the antigen of white supremacy. They just allow me a little more time and a safer space to blunt a sick truth that every African-American parent seeks to delay but can never deny telling their children. In this nation, black life just doesn't matter that much. Well, today our nation is in chaos. Protests and uprising coupled with an international pandemic has brought our country to a standstill. Both, however, are mere manifestations of the pain and misery baked into this nation's noble yet fragile experiment of democracy. A democratic experiment with a blueprint of equality yet erected with the machinery of inequality an unsteady design that professes to be inclusive, but works best for those of us in power when it's exclusive. This is the reason why the Confederate states were willing to tear this nation apart. Southern wealth and power was premised on the right to enslave people of African descent. This is the reason Captains of industry established their own police forces in cities like Pittsburgh and Kannapolis, criminalizing and violently squelching the ability of workers to organize among the many in order to protect the profits of the few. And these are the reasons patriarchy, ethnocentrism and anti-black racism remain so persistent and perverse, even if increasingly socially unacceptable. These ideologies constitute the raw materials of which our country was constructed. This nation's dark and grim history. I have to say it's why I answer God's call to be a minister of the gospel. For it's the teachings of a peasant Jewish rabbi that provide me the moral and spiritual resources to imagine alternative ways of living and loving not defined by empire. A kingdom defined by love and justice where there's always plenty good room for all of God's children. But we also learn something about the character of God in the Hebrew Bible. Like in today's song. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind 
that you're so mindful of them? Who are human beings that you care for them? The psalmist provides us a different understanding of power. Not power over, but power for. Not authority without responsibility. Not dominion without obligation. But the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who hung the chandeliers of the galaxy in the sky and spit the oceans into existence. This is the same God that is not just mindful of us. This God cares for us. And it's this kind of care, this kind of compassion, this kind of tenderness, this kind of concern that ought to animate all of our commitments to justice for all people rendered vulnerable in this society. The Greeks called it agape. Reinhold Niebuhr called it justice as an expression of love in our otherwise fallen society. Howard Thurman called it beloved community. And when we consider how God conceived us, when we consider how God cares about and for us, this should instill in us a broader sense of hope. During times like these, we know the importance of our attitudes. Psychological research speaks to the importance of attitude in developing resiliency, the kind of resiliency I hope to see in my children when we deliberately cultivate a constructive approach to a problem. We fare so much better. Hope is a spiritual category. It's a spiritual gift. This doesn't mean it's otherworldly. No, hope is an orientation to this world. It's a disposition, it's an attitude. And thus like all orientations, dispositions and attitude, it can be encouraged and cultivated over time. Hope keeps us from succumbing to the temptation of helplessness in the face of a global pandemic, in the face of enduring white supremacy. It's easy to feel powerless. What can I do? What can I say? But frontline workers and protesters, as much as anyone, are examples of the difference each and every one of us can make on a daily basis. Small acts of kindness and care, tender gestures of love and compassion. We should never take these for granted. But we also must remind those on the front lines that they aren't just going through the motions. It's easy to lose the forest for the trees. For each day, courageous women and men are making a difference. And it's our job to remind them. It's our job to remind ourselves that it's our call and our charge to keep. Elijah Parrish Lovejoy just thought he was publishing a paper. He never knew he would be a martyr in the abolitionist movement. Fannie Lou Hamer just decided that she was sick and tired of being sick and tired. She didn't know that she would rock the Southern establishment at the 1964 Democratic Convention. But these individuals possessed a stubborn hope. 
They were okay with uncertainty and doubt. They were okay with the things that they could not control, but focused on what they could control. And that is raising their voice and using their bodies and their minds to bring about positive progressive change. And this is the difference between optimism and hope for me. Optimism is an attitude that everything will get better. Somehow goodness and justice will just roll in on a wheel of inevitability. Optimism says that the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Maybe, but maybe not. Hope, however, says that we cannot take goodness and justice for granted. Hope says the arc of the moral universe is long and possibly treacherous, so therefore we have to bend its arm. Hope concedes the things that we cannot control, yet takes ownership of all that we can. And if we're doing all doing our part to make a difference, we trust and believe that change will come. This is the message I hope my children see in my eyes. This is the nation I pray our nation will see in the eyes of hundreds of thousands across this country today. This nation will understand that God is mindful of us. And we are going to be mindful over one another. Let us pray together. Almighty God, you taught us to pray not only for ourselves, but for people everywhere. So hear us now as we pray for others in the name of Jesus Christ. O oh God, inspire the whole church with your power, your unity, and your peace and grant that all who trust you may obey your word and live together in love. Lead our nation in the way of justice and goodwill. Direct those who govern that they may rule fairly, maintain order, uphold those in need, defend the oppressed, and rightly administer the law that this world may lay claim to your rule and know your peace. O God, awaken all people to the danger we have inflicted upon the earth. Implant in each a reverence for all you have made, that we may preserve the delicate balance of creation for coming generations. O God, give grace to all who witness to the gospel in word and in deed that they may reveal your love for all people. Comfort and relieve, O Lord, all who are in trouble, all who sorrow, all who suffer from poverty, sickness, grief, especially those known to us. O God, Heal them all in body, mind, or circumstance. Working in them by your grace wanders beyond all that they may dream or hope. 
And O oh God, bring to our remembrance all those who have opened our eyes to the truth, who have inspired our hearts by their witness, and who strengthen our wills by their steadfast devotion to your will. May their witness give us courage to do and say the right thing, and their faithfulness give us hope always to live and to work for you. For we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, and help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing always in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so may the blessings of God come to you and to all God's people this day and every day. Amen.